this is your first time here, then this might be odd, uh, because you have wandered into a conversation, a series. You wandered in on a series on the Holy Spirit, and as part of this series, we've been talking about the gifts of the Spirit, if you know what that is. Uh, and today, particularly, we're going to be talking about the gift of tongues. And the reason why it's a strange time to wander in, I say that because you've just wandered into what perhaps is arguably the most controversial topic <laughs> within uh, Bible Christians. So, I'm sorry. And also, welcome. Uh, the passages on the spiritual gifts, as we've seen, a huge emphasis, which I talked about uh, two weeks ago, I believe, or last week, a huge emphasis as part of the conversation on the spiritual gifts is the goal of the Holy Spirit, which is oneness for God's people. So it is tragic that different perspectives on the spiritual gifts lead to disunity. It's nothing short of tragic. I would, you don't have to agree with my perspective today. You don't have to. In fact, I would be very surprised if everyone did agree, okay? That's very unlikely. You don't have to agree. I would rather you disagree with me in unity than agree with me and have a divisive spirit about it. I would much rather have that in the church. I'd rather have none of you agree with me and all of you walking in unity rather than, you know, the other way around. So keep that in mind, and we're going to continue to see that in the scripture. The conversation with the spiritual gifts is linked with the higher priority of unity. So, it's part of the disclaimer. We're going to be talking about a controversial topic, the gift of speaking in tongues. And if you don't know what that is, don't worry, I'll fill you in. And I just want you to hear kind of how I come at things. I really try to first and foremost figure out what is the scriptures say. There might be other reasons to draw different conclusions. Some people will focus on church history and use that as a, a guidepost, which can be helpful. But I think first and foremost, especially when it comes to, to my role, it's let's see what does the Bible say. And when it comes to the gift of speaking in tongues, I think we can draw pretty clear conclusions from the scriptures. That's just my perspective, and you'll hear how I see that and why I say what I'm going to say as we look at the Bible. So how does it all begin? Uh, if you recall, we've discussed this recently. When Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead, and when he rose from the dead, he said, soon you're going to receive the promise from my Father. Soon you're going to receive the promise of my Father. And John the Baptist called this the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We see that in Luke's language in the book of Acts also. Baptism of the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, clothed with power. Wait for this, it's going to happen. And then in Acts chapter 2, we 
read that it happened. And I want to read the first uh, 12 verses, beginning in verse 1 of Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a loud sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? So you got lots of people from lots of different places with lots of different languages all gathered under one roof. Maybe they're outside, I suppose. I don't know, but they're all together. And suddenly, with power, rushing wind, the spirit falls. And people start praising God, declaring the wonders of God. The, the, the phrase used where it says declaring the wonders of God, other times in the book of Acts, that means praising God. They are praising God and they're doing it in languages that they don't even know. It's fallen upon them, and other people who actually speak those languages are like, what's going on here? It gets their attention. And then, having grabbed their attention, uh, Peter begins to speak by the Holy Spirit in Arabic, uh, and he tells them that Jesus died and rose from the dead according to the plan of God. And what you're seeing is the promise fulfilled that God would pour out his spirit. And he goes back to the Old Testament and says, this is the promise. And he tells them, repent every one of you, which means turn, turn from living for yourself, turn from empty religion, turn from, uh, turn from, Whatever it is you're living for, and turn to God. As repent means turn. Repent in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And you too will receive this promise. That's what he says. Uh, whenever I think about Acts chapter 2, I am reminded, and I told you before, this is the first time the gospel was ever preached, and he says nothing about going to heaven when you die. We, that's part of the promise. We know that. But what he says is, turn to Jesus and you will receive this promise. It's for you and your children. The promise of the Holy Spirit. Oh, uh, well, there's a lot we can say about the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit and there's a lot we have said. But today... Let's focus on what happened earlier. They started speaking in a language that they didn't know and were praising God. They were praising God in a language they didn't know. 
And there were people in Acts chapter 2 that could hear the language, and they did know the language, so that naturally got their attention. But then you keep reading the book of Acts, uh, chapter 10, I believe, chapter 19. Two other times the Holy Spirit falls on people, and this same thing happens. People start speaking a language they don't know, which we call the gift of tongues. They start speaking a language they don't know. In those two other instances... There's no record of anyone being there to understand what they're saying. There's no uh, people in the language. And I bring that up because uh, there are uh, some people, and I, and I think you're going to see this as an incorrect position from my perspective. There are some people that think that the only purpose of the gift of tongues is to communicate to someone in a language that you don't know. And people would say that the way that it's often practiced today, which is more of a prayer language is unbiblical. I'm going to hopefully show you that it absolutely is biblical, the idea of a prayer language. I think we can see that, to be honest, beyond a shadow of a doubt. But that's just me. So <laughs> feel free to toss it in love <laughs> if you don't agree with that perspective. Uh, but um, there's a lot of questions that come up. What is this? What is it for? What are the dangers? Um, because there are some pitfalls, ways that this can cause problems. Uh, we'll discuss all of that. I think it's fitting for me to pray first before we dive into this uh, more than a little controversial topic. Father God, I pray that uh, you would uh, enable me to speak clearly. I give my words. Uh, uh, let, let, let your words be, be in me and let me speak on this topic in a way that is in line with you, your truth, who you are, and really what your heart is for the church, and help us know your character, know your love. Protect the unity of the church, God, and let the conversation of the spiritual gifts serve to strengthen us, to build us up, um, and not to cause problems, Lord. I pray that you would give your people a greater hunger for you, Lord, and your gifts. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Oh yeah, so really the only detailed conversation of the gift of tongues in the Bible comes in the letter uh, um, to the Corinthian church, which we've been looking at lately, but now we're actually going to dive into chapter 14. By the way, you might have noticed that we skipped chapter 13. We're doing it a little out of order. Basil's doing 13 next week. I actually planned it this way because... Chapter 13 is an interruption of the spiritual gift conversation. He's having a conversation about the spiritual gifts, and then he just interrupts himself, and he starts talking about love being supreme, and that's intentional. And I thought, hey, I'm going to drop a controversial message, <laughs> and then we're going to interrupt the conversation of the spiritual gifts to remind you all that there's something more important. So that's why we did it this way. That's what my thinking was. So, Okay, 1 Corinthians Chapter 14, begin verse 1. We're going to read the first five verses. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophecies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so the church might be edified. Okay, where do I begin? Um, 
he says, uh, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. And I think from that, we can say, especially prophecy. And the big kind of point that he's making through this chapter is that in the church, prophecy is better than tongues. It serves the church better. That's part of the conversation. And in two weeks, we're going to talk about the gift of prophecy. So just kind of leave that there for now. But that's kind of the big point that he's trying to make. But in that, in that conversation, we can learn about this gift of tongues. The purpose of this chapter is not to give a lecture on the gift of tongues. That's not the purpose. He's addressing something that was going on at the church at the time. But once more, we can still learn things from it. And when he says earnestly desire the gifts, especially the gift of prophecy, I think it's fair that we should desire the gifts. I think that's a good thing to do. Uh, and then he says, especially prophecy, and he says, um, verse 2, says, anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God, um, utters mysteries in their spirit. And I think that's actually in line with Acts chapter 2, when the gift was first given, people started speaking in tongues. They weren't speaking to the people. It seems that they were praising God. The people heard him. The people heard them in their own languages, but it wasn't to deliver a message first and foremost. It seems like it. Okay? That's why I think the Apostle Paul says the one who prophesies speaks to people. Like, hey, I'm addressing you. The one who speaks in a tongue is actually talking to God. Sometimes it's helpful for us to hear that. Um, but that's not actually the direction of the conversation, so to speak. Um, uh, and then here's something, let you in a little bit of the controversy. It says in verse 4, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Now, um, one of the perspectives is that the Apostle Paul is here speaking a little tongue-in-cheek, meaning... When he says the one who speaks in a tongue edifies, which means strengthens, the one who speaks in a tongue strengthens himself, he's kind of saying that in a negative sense. Like, the one who speaks in a tongue is thinking about themselves. You're not thinking about the church. You're just trying to edify yourself. So he's not, some people think he's not actually affirming the practice of tongues as a prayer language to speak between you and God. Some people think he's not actually affirming that. I would say that that position is incorrect, and I'll, I'll show you why. The Apostle Paul himself prayed, used tongues as a prayer language to edify himself. I think we see that, but I'll get to that. Um, but what he's saying is, the gift of tongues is unique. It's unique because the other spiritual gifts are primarily focused on one another, serving the church. But the gift of tongues seems to be something that can be practiced alone to edify oneself because it's someone speaking to God. That's what he says here. Um, uh, verse 5, another controversial verse, <laughs> one after the other. Uh, he says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. Okay, from this, some people have said that everyone should speak in tongues. I've heard it said, the Apostle Paul wants everyone to speak in tongues. See, he said it. I wish everyone would speak in tongues. Yes, but that needs to be qualified with what he's saying in the big picture. Um, and let me give you an example of something he said in the same letter. I think it's chapter 6 or 7. He says 
Basically, I'm single, and I wish all of you were. <laughs> but each one has their own gift, okay? No one is out there saying that the Apostle Paul wants everyone to be single. We understand it's kind of a literary device that he's using, which basically means singleness is a good thing. That's what he's trying to say. Singleness is a good thing. Uh, in the same way, he's not saying that he literally wants everyone like, hey, you, go speak in tongues. He's not giving this order to everyone. And we know that because the context of what he said in chapter 12. He said, he's talking about how different people have different gifts and are all apostles, do all prophesy, do all speak in tongues. He's trying to say, no, they don't, and that's okay. We shouldn't try to make everyone like us. That's a, a big point of the letter. So I don't think he literally means that everyone should, like you should take it upon yourselves to go speak in tongues. I don't think he's saying that as a, as a command, okay? But I think he is saying that it's a good thing. You should hear that, and it's a good thing. Not all speak in tongues, and maybe it's because you don't want to. And maybe you don't want to because you have a bad idea about it based on things you've heard that maybe aren't true. Maybe, and, and, and if that's the case, I, I'd like to enlighten you with what I think is true, but maybe you don't want to because God has just wired you to want other things. As in, teaching is a, is a good gift from God. And some people really want to do that, and I think that's God stirring in them to want. Um, and uh, maybe you don't want to, and, and, and maybe that's okay. Maybe that's just how God made you. But... I suspect that this message will lead some people to want this. And I think that's good also. So, that's my perspective on verse 5. Uh, he also says in verse 5 that the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church might be edified. So, let me explain how that would go down. Um, Sometimes, not always, but sometimes, someone would have something on their heart where they feel like there's a, a gift of tongues. Um, and they would speak in a tongue, and someone else would have what the scriptures call the gift of interpretation, where someone who doesn't even speak the language that just was heard, they would say, I don't speak that language, but when you said that, this this was pressed upon my heart where basically they would be able to interpret it for the people. And in this way, the gift of tongues functions just like prophecy. It's just like a word from God for the people rather than someone speaking to God, you know, mysteries in their spirit. So sometimes there might be someone who can interpret, but if not, but if not, it's not helpful for the church. And actually, if you keep reading a part we're not going to get to just for time's sake, the Apostle Paul actually gives instructions for how this could work. He says, when you come together and different people have different gifts that they're bringing, God's put a song on one person's heart, you know, a scripture on someone else's heart, a word of prophecy on someone else's heart, and someone has a tongue they want to share, they can, like in an orderly fashion, and um, you can do that. He says, two, three max, you know, because he's concerned with things getting... Uh, disorderly, <laughs> um, and, and I'll get to that in a little bit as we keep reading, but he says you can do that to see if someone can interpret it. 
And if no one can interpret it, then don't do it at church. Um, let me keep reading. You're going to see this more. When we get to verse 6, it says this. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. Uh, the point he's trying to make is not difficult to figure out. He's basically saying, like newsflash, if you're speaking and no one can understand what you're saying, it's not helpful to anyone. It's kind of like, duh, okay? Not only is it not helpful, it can be a problem. You know, you keep reading... And he says, if you guys are all speaking in tongues and someone walks in who's an outsider, unfamiliar with this stuff, they're going to think you're all out of your minds. And you know something sad is I think part of the reason this is a controversial subject is because a lot of people have had experiences like that. A lot of people have had experiences with the spiritual gifts where there is an element of just chaos and there's an element of just disorder. And so they have a bad taste in their mouth. And so the mention of things like the gift of tongues or prophecy makes them nervous. And maybe it's because we haven't been just listening to what the Bible says on the matter. Um, uh, so, so don't do that. <laughs> um, if there's no one that can interpret it, it's not helpful for the group setting. Is that what he's saying? Not only is it not helpful, it's possibly damaging. But, but, there is something good about this that we should hear. Um, let's actually just keep reading. Verse 14. He says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving since they do not know what you're saying? You're giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Okay, so once more, the bigger point he's trying to make is the same point, and it's really clear. And there's a little question of, like, why he needs to go on and on and on making this point that really should be clear already. If no one understands what you're saying, it's not helpful to anyone. Um, once more, I kind of feel like, duh. <laughs> right? Um, but that's, that's what he's saying. It's... It's not helpful. Maybe it's helpful to you. 
But what he's saying is, um, and, he, and he says this later in a, a part we're not going to get to, he says, if someone is speaking in a tongue and no one can interpret, that person should speak to God. Meaning, like, it should speak to God alone, like, when other people aren't around. Like, you, you, want, you have this gift, and, and it strengthens you, it, it edifies you. Good. But it's just, it's just not helpful when other people are around who can't speak it. Um, but, but I think verse uh, 28 is very important, or 18 is very important to understanding something about this regarding the controversy. The Apostle Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Uh, once more, um, some people do not think that the gift of tongues was ever intended to be a prayer language between you and God. It was more just intended to be a missionary tool like you see in Acts chapter 2. Here, I think that argument really falls apart because the Apostle Paul says, I speak in tongues more than all of you, but I don't do it in the church. Meaning, where, well, where do you do it then? <laughs> what he's been saying all along, the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to man, but to God. And that's very interesting. Um, really, I think that very much affirms the modern day uh, charismatic Pentecostal view of the gift of tongues being a prayer language. I think that's precisely what you see in 1 Corinthians 14. And that's notable. <laughs> uh, here's something. Uh, this is actually very interesting to me. What he says in verse 15 is, I don't know, what he says in verse 14 is, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Um, so I read a, an article from 2006 in the New York Times, and the article was called A Neuroscientific Look at Speaking in Tongues. I believe it was the University of Pennsylvania, but I have to double check that. It is a, a university did a study where they grabbed a handful of people who spoke in tongues, and they did uh, scans of their brain while they were speaking in tongues. And what you might think is that you would see similar activity that you would see in other spiritual practices, like meditation, for instance. And what they found was that wasn't the case. In other spiritual meditation-type things, there's a lot of activity in the frontal lobe of, of concentration, but with the people speaking in tongues, there was nothing there. Uh, but there was activity in a different part of the brain that was about uh, self-awareness, self-consciousness. So the people are not in like a, 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 a trance. They're aware. They're conscious. Which is interesting when I hear that there's nothing in the frontal lobe of concentration. It's interesting when he says, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. And it seems to be pretty similar to what you read. And actually, the um, Dr. Andrew Newberg, the leader of the study, said, the amazing thing was how the images supported people's interpretation of what was happening. <laughs> I just thought that was interesting. Uh, you know what? Uh, I do have time. I've been talking faster than I usually do. 
uh, I'll tell you a little bit of my own experience with this. So, uh, some parts of this I might have shared with you already. Some parts I haven't. Uh, I was a new believer, and I wandered into a, a college group that was charismatic, Pentecostal group, and... They were talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which was a new idea to me because I was a brand new Christian. And the gift of tongues, also a new idea. And me and this other girl were there. We were both there for the first time. And he prayed that this young woman would receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he prayed over her. Her face lit up. Her mouth started going. Pretty sure that's the first time I had ever heard anyone speak in tongues before. I know what was going on in her heart, but I can tell you she wasn't faking what was going on uh, because she was, she was ecstatic. It was, it was pretty, it was, it was a spectacle. It was like, wow, that was something. Wow. And then uh, it's like, okay, my turn. <laughs> same thing. He did the same thing. Laid hands, prayed. Nothing happened. <laughs> and literally, it was like, let's try this again. <laughs> Nothing happened. That was disheartening. Um, I think it was, it was uh, two weeks ago, Chris McCoy, he gave a message. He talked about how he was familiar with the gift of tongues for a long time, prayed about it for a long time, and then suddenly one day while worshiping, you know, there it was. Uh, well, anyways, it, it didn't happen to me that day. And not that much after that, probably a year or so later, just really a, a very strange guy on my college campus named John Buchanan. My wife's watching this at home, and she's just laughing, just the name John Buchanan. He's a real character. To be honest, kind of weird. <laughs> a lot of people would say he was weird, but he was very gentle, very nice. And I don't know how we started talking about the gift of tongues. But John Buchanan... He prayed over me, and it happened. <laughs> and it was kind of like, John Buchanan's a guy probably a lot of people wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't invite to pray over them just because he's such an odd guy. But anyways, I started speaking, and there was a joy there. And it was like, for like that evening, I remember going to a worship night, and I was like, everyone else was singing, it was loud, and I was, uh, I wasn't saying it very, I was, quietly, but it was, it was coming out of me, like, and then, like, I just, after that, I just started questioning, was that real, or was that just kind of my, was I just babbling, you know, and I, I, I didn't know, and for a long time, because I had, because I, I, I would hear the controversy, you know, people I really respected thought that prayer, tongues was never supposed to be a prayer language, and so I was just kind of nervous and didn't really kind of give that a whole lot of practice, and... It's pretty much where it stayed for the most part for almost 18 years or so. Uh, and it was just like a year ago or so, there was a specific time where I was here at the church. And I went for a walk. And I remember very much that the thing on my heart that day was that I just wanted more intimacy with God. I mean, sometimes I'm praying about this, praying about that. Sometimes I'm worried about this circumstance. You know, I got this thing I got to do. But on this particular day, what I really just was feeling, like I want more 
I want more intimacy with God. That's really what I was feeling, and I specifically was praying for that. And uh, I had a meeting scheduled with Barb from the prayer team, and I don't know how, I don't know how it came up, but she prayed over me, and the conversation in tongues came up. She prayed that I speak in tongues, and there it was again. And and since then, probably close to every day, to be honest, uh, probably every day when I'm by myself or laying in bed, I will think about God, and a lot of times it's not even, um, like, something I'm, like, intentionally trying to do, just thinking about God. I don't even have to open my mouth, which is weird. Like, I can, like, keep my mouth closed. I can think about the Lord, and I just, like, it's like I'm just kind of an observer hearing sounds. Um, It's a strange thing. It's a curious thing, and sometimes it feels like a very much empowerment. Sometimes Times, a lot of times it doesn't. A lot of times it's almost like I'm just kind of a curious observer, like, and, and, and just kind of analyzing and wondering what it is. Um, and so what I'm trying to say is this is a gift that I'm still trying to figure out. It's not something that I necessarily uh, have all the answers for. I can tell you this. There are times when I might be nervous about something or I might be feeling like a lot of pressure about something, where it's just very nice to do because it just feels like I'm talking with God and I don't even know what to say right now. Like, I don't even know what to say. Like, I just, this thing about uh, my mind being unfruitful, sometimes I just want to shut my mind off because I'm just, there's too much going on there. (laughs) There's just too much up there that I'd rather just, I don't even, I can't figure this out. And and so sometimes it's a nice thing to do in that regard. Um. And that's where I'm at with that. Um, the confidence that I have today about this gift really comes from the scriptures more than it does my experience. And I think a lot of people, when it comes to the spiritual gifts and the gift of tongues, if you've been a Christian for a while and you've been experienced with that or you heard about it or you heard the stories, I think a lot of times people can base their opinion based on their experiences. Um, and for me, the confidence I have, first and foremost, that this prayer language is a real thing from God is, is comes from the Bible. Um, because I can see here that that's precisely what God intended it to be. And for me, that gives me a little bit of a freedom. Because I think way back when, when that happened to me uh, with Johnny Buchanan, the reason why I was kind of nervous about it is because I wasn't sure it was biblical. And so I didn't really know what was really happening. And so for me, it gives me a lot of comfort to see that's really exactly what the scriptures say. Um, and so, here's just a couple closing words on this. Here's something that I don't want you doing. There are some people I know that are very zealous about this. And that's part of like, you know, we're all zealous about the different things God's given us a passion for. And that zeal might be good. I'm not trying to quench it. But I'm trying to say, don't pressure people to speak in tongues who don't desire to speak in tongues. A big point of chapter 12 is that different people have different gifts, and that's okay. Uh, So don't do that. Um, You you might have zeal, and maybe you want to talk about it, and that's okay. Just don't, please don't do that. It's not helpful for the church. Um, Something else that I want to say, for those who kind of hear about the gift of tongues, and you're just like, ugh, why? 
Like, I'm not saying that you should. I'm not trying to pressure you. But I'm saying, like, what is your, what's your, what is your hesitancy? Because uh, I, I do think that it's biblical, and I do think it seems to be a good thing. Paul says he does it more than anyone else. And when I hear about it as a unique gift that I can practice by myself, like I can't do evangelism by myself in bed, <laughs> you know, can't teach, can't give words of prophecy to people. Um, but I think, that's, I think that's something to be desired. That's just, that's just my perspective on it. You know what? Uh, I suspect that you have thoughts. So I'm going to stop talking. Uh, Pastor Cheryl's going to come up here, and we're going to continue this conversation. Um, Father God, once more I ask you to protect the unity of the church. Um, uh, give us, or let us earnestly desire your gifts, God. And let this be something that blesses the church, strengthens the church, and doesn't cause hindrances or um, disunity, Lord, but oneness, as that is your goal. We ask that, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right. Well, as Pastor Charlie said, if you have questions, this is the time. So we have a mic that will be uh, roaming around the room. So if you have a question in the room, just raise your hand. And we will get to you with the mic. And if not, you can um, text into the number that's on the screen. And we will get that question answered as well. So are there any questions in the room? Oh, mic over here. Uh, thank you for that message today. My, my question is that, uh, you know, you mentioned maybe there were some practical benefits, spiritual benefits to speaking in tongues. So I, I was just wondering if you could make it clear to me if I desire to pray in tongues, what, what are the outcomes? You know, just, just practically, what are the spiritual outcomes? What can I expect? What good, what spiritual or practical good will come from that? What can I expect? Good question. Uh, I try to keep my answers to what the Bible says. And what the Bible says is that you edify yourself. You strengthen yourself. Um, what does that mean? I would say that, well, once more, look at what the scripture says. Um, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. There's, there's actually a time very recent where I had something to do, I was maybe a little nervous about it, and I remember, like, in my car, just, just praying in tongues, and after doing that for 10 minutes or so, I definitely felt more just peace and calmness going into my meeting, where I think that the goal would be to edit. The way the Bible really defines being edified is being strengthened in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. So I, th I think that is probably what you would expect. With that being said, I'm just speaking now from experience. This isn't Bible. Not every time I just would be praying in tongues. It's not like every time I do that and then instantly it's like, oh, I'm kind of in a bad mood. Oh, now I feel better. Like, 
that's just not my experience. So I just want to give you kind of reasonable, or I just want to be honest with you. That's that's my experience. So yeah. But on the same note, one more thing. I feel like I have the gift of evangelism. And sometimes when I'm doing evangelism, I feel this great empowerment and the words are just flowing out of me. And sometimes when I do evangelism, I feel really awkward. <laughs> uh, I feel like I have the gift of teaching. Sometimes when I'm up here, often I feel very empowered. There are some times, and maybe you've caught it, where I just have moments of like, what am I doing? <laughs> well, so... I think that's just in line with the other spiritual gifts also. They don't always feel, I mean, even like the gift of prophecy, there's times in the Bible where someone's prophesizing and they don't even know they're prophesizing, okay? So I wouldn't necessarily judge the effectiveness of a gift based on how one is feeling in the moment. All right. We have a question over here at the back. It's, it's more um, a reflection that it's helpful for me to remember that the power of life and death is in the tongue. God spoke the world into existence. Jesus said, and people were healed. So the power of speech, the power of releasing his word into the atmosphere around us or in our situations is really important. And when we are praying in tongues, it is heaven. We're just really allowing our voice to be used by heaven, to be used by God. And so as we pray in tongues, Charlie, my experience is exactly like yours. If I'm feeling anxious or scared or have a big problem, I'll go for a walk, and I just pray in tongues out loud. And generally, within a short time, and again, not always, but I believe that because we have spoken out loud, the power of heaven is released onto that situation problem, my anxiousness, and it is greatly alleviated. And I find myself then back in a place of hope and the strength of the Holy Spirit, conviction of what the Word says, faith for answers and resolution, um, etc. So I think connecting what you said to the power of the spoken Word, as Scripture tells us about the spoken Word, and knowing it's heaven speaking through us. I don't know if that's helpful. It's not a question. It's a reflection on uh, the conversation. Thanks for that, Barb. Yeah, thank you. I have a question that came. We have a question up here at the front, BC. Um, I have a question that came through the text while we're waiting for that, uh, for the microphone. What passes through your mind when you contemplate God, as you said, when you're being uh, an analytic observer right before speaking in tongues? Right before? Yeah. What passes through your mind when you contemplate God, when you're being an analytical observer right before speaking in tongues? Well, here's one thing. Um, you know the thing where, it's, where the Apostle Paul said, when I, if I speak in a tongue, uh, my spirit prays, my mind is unfruitful? Sometimes nothing at all. Like speaking in tongues for me is quite literally the easiest thing that I know how to do. Like it's, it's, it's like easy as breathing where I don't have to put any effort at all into, like I could be thinking about nothing. And it's like... Uh, but this is one thing I noticed. So this me sharing here. I've shared with you the night that I, the gospel was shown to me, and I don't have time to get into that story right now. But I had this experience that night where 
I experienced what felt like the oneness of God without fear. And it was, this was, this was, I was a non-believer the day before and something happened to me and, um, and I experienced this, I experienced God and, and there was just like this glory, glory that I can't even wrap my mind around. And totally, to be, to be honest, um, when I, uh, I got to keep my answer short. I don't even know. It's possible that on that night, I might have been speaking in tongues. I don't even know. Because what was going on in my body, I don't even know. But I just remember this glory that, I, that is very difficult to describe. <laughs> There's a time when the Apostle Paul says, I saw things that men are not permitted to speak. <laughs> and I kind of feel like, uh, it's not like he's not allowed to speak it. It's just like a glory that I don't know how to put into words. And if I think about that, like... I notice that if I think about that, if I think about that night, if I think about that, tongues flow out of my spirit without me tr- saying like, oh, I'm going to speak in tongues now. It's kind of like I think about that and it's like I can hear it kind of like observing, you know. Um, but it's not a, it's not a, yeah, yeah, that's, I could say more, but. All right, Karen. I agree with the sense of peace, the surrendering to God, because we know that he knows our thoughts, our minds, what we're going to say. And when we surrender to the spirit of the Lord and he speaks for us in our prayer, there is a sense of peace and serenity. It's amazing. But how do you address the big names and the people out there that are saying yes, but it has ceased? It's no longer necessary, the gifts of the Spirit. Sure. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, there's all that that I'm constantly okay. in conversation with. And thank you, thank you. Because I, I actually meant to say something about that. The argument that the, some of the spiritual gifts have ceased, namely uh, the gift of tongues has ceased. There are people that believe that. People who are our brothers and sisters. People who are, are Christians. People that we, you know called to have unity with, for sure. There's some, and I suspect there's people here that believe the spiritual gift has ceased. I think that that argument is coming more from church history than it is the Bible. Because the Bible really, really, really does not say that gifts will cease. At the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, there's a time where it says uh, prophecies will cease, tongues they will be stilled. But the context is when the perfect comes, when Jesus returns. So it's really ridiculous to take that passage and say, see, tongues will cease. Um, That's not what he's saying. Um, And actually, the Bible says the opposite in a lot of ways when the Bible says, do not forbid tongues. Earnestly desire that you may prophesy. Like, uh, I see, like, the, the argument of these tongues have ceased, a lot of it comes from church history because... Before the Pentecostal movement, there was a very long time where there were very few recordings of people doing this. And that's notable. That's, that actually, that, that, you can make a fair argument from that, where it just wasn't happening, apparently, for a long time outside of small pockets. But the reason that I began this series with talking about the birth of the Pentecostal movement was because I want you to know that even with all the deficiencies and problems of the Pentecostal movement, which there are many, even with that, the Pentecostal movement has spread the gospel faster than any movement since Acts chapter 2. 
Like, they're the, the, the explosion of how many churches have sprung up in the last hundred years leads me to say, uh, can Satan cast out Satan? A kingdom divided itself can't stand. Like, this is a work of God because million, hundreds of millions of people have become Christians over the last, like, hundred years due to the Pentecostal movement. And so I have to say that we should say, church history should say, this is indeed a work of God, even with all its problems. And the Pentecostal movement sounds exactly like the Corinthian church. They have all these gifts that they're very excited about, but there's also some real issues that need to be addressed while affirming the gifts. And that's what I feel like I'm trying to do. I'm trying to affirm the gifts while also addressing issues. We have a question here. Just to share with the people that may ask, why to pursue this gift. I would like to compliment from Romans 8, verse 26, that says, and in a similar way, the Holy Spirit takes hold of us in our human frailty to empower us in our weakness. For example, at times, we don't even know how to pray or know the best things to ask for, but the Holy Spirit rises up within us to super intercede on our behalf, pleading to God with emotional sighs to deep for words. Then uh, it's something that I have experienced, and as Pastor Charlie said, not necessarily at the moment to pray is that we are thinking of something. It comes natural, it comes, let's say, for praising. Sometimes, let's say you have a physical pain or a difficulty in your life, you just pray and this comes naturally, and you are filled with joy, with peace, and uh, it's not something that you think. It's something that you, you get relaxed because you know the Lord and the Holy Spirit is with you. Just wanted to share. Uh, thank you for that. And I sh what I shared, for one, I, I would say, like, on one hand, I shared that's kind of often my experience where speaking tongues feels like a way to connect with God that's kind of just... Uh, deeper than my mind. It's kind of like my spirit connecting. It feels that way. But on the other hand, I also want to say that it's certainly debatable whether the Apostle Paul is speaking specifically about tongues in that passage. I think that passage actually expands to people who also don't speak in tongues but can still experience those groanings too deep for words. Um, so I just want to clarify that because there's a little bit of controversy in, in the ways people interpret that verse. But the experience, I certainly would say, does apply to tongues. But I, I think that it applies to more than just tongues, what you read in that Romans passage. So thank you for that. Yes. Okay, we have a couple minutes left. I'm going to do a couple rapid fire. Should we, yeah. should we push ourselves to practice spiritual gifts? Uh, I think so. Earnestly desire the gifts. Yes, we should desire that. Yes. Okay, what's the best way to do, uh, to get to speak in tongues? Is it someone praying for you or do you need a deep prayer life to get it? Um, here's something that also I want to say. Let's really not try to over-formulize how the Holy Spirit works. Like, I don't want to be like, oh, if you would like this gift, well, come up, we'll do this and this and we'll send you home with it. You know, like, uh, that's not my experience, for one. And uh, Chris talked about it. You know, he prayed and he wanted that gift for a long time before I got it. I saw it happen to someone, and then it didn't me, and then another time it did. Like, when you read the book of Acts, this is something you certainly find, is that 
there's not a formula. Sometimes the Holy Spirit falls on people when, sometimes the Holy Spirit falls on people when they're listening to a sermon. Sometimes the Holy Spirit falls on people after they're baptized. Sometimes they start speaking in tongues. Other times that's not noted. Like, there's not like, I mean, he's a person and he does what he wants to. I've been talking about revivals lately and I hope that's still on your mind. Every revival is different. There are similarities, but the revival that broke out, you know, in California in 1906 that I've talked about recently, very different than the Great Awakening revival, very different than the Protestant Reformation revival, you know, very different than Acts chapter 2. But there's some similarities. And so I don't want to say this is how revival is going to happen. It's going to involve lots of people speaking in tongues. It's going to involve lots of people prophesizing. I don't know. But to answer the question, if you, what, what can you do? You can ask. It's a gift. And, and you can remember that God loves giving gifts to his children. Sometimes he does it according to his timeline. Sometimes we want our presence now. Sometimes he thinks Christmas morning is going to be a better time. I have a good plan. That's when everything's going to be set. Like, his timing is perfect. And so we should be okay with that. And his will is perfect. One person has this gift, another one has another. That's what Apostle Paul said earlier in the letter, talking about marriage and singleness. For him, singleness was a gift, and for someone else, marriage is a gift. And so, but, but what do you do? You can ask. And I know there are people that would be very happy to ask on your behalf and lay hands on you and, and ask. But don't be disheartening if, don't be disheartened if nothing happens. Because I've experienced that, and God's plan is, is better than ours. But the answer is ask, and specifically today during the prayer time. And you know what? Can I actually invite the prayer team to come up during the worship? Um, so you guys will be up earlier. If there's anyone that wants this specific gift, you, we can ask on your behalf. You can ask. Um, absolutely. Um, and And... That happened to me. Once, once someone asked and nothing happened, and other times someone asked and it, and it did. So that's, that's okay. God's plan is good. All right, so, this is yeah. going to be our last question. How is it possible that different people of different languages understood the apostle, what the apostles were saying in tongues? Did the apostles speak different languages at the time, or did they speak a heavenly language that the Holy Spirit translated into each person's heart? Um, would you be able, uh, would that explain why some people simply could not understand what was said? Well, no, they were speaking real languages. The people heard, you have someone from, you know, uh, from Mesopotamia and the people were speaking, you know, the Mesopotamian language, you know, which would be Greek or whatever. People, they, the people were speaking a language. Like if I started speaking Spanish and I don't know how to speak Spanish, suddenly I'm praising God in Spanish. That was, was going on. There is a little bit of conversation about like, are people speaking heavenly languages, which comes from 1 Corinthians 13, and it's really debatable if that's actually what, I'm not going to get into that right now. But this is something I just heard on the radio this week. I just heard this this week, surprisingly. Right now, every 40 days, there's a language that goes extinct in the world. Um, there's around 6,000 languages right now, and they're going extinct all the time. If there's 6,000 now, how many languages were there back then? Okay? Lots of languages. So someone might be speaking in a tongue, and they might be speaking a language that no one knows what that is, and no one's ever heard anything like that. It could, it could be any of the languages that have ever existed. One more final thought on the topic. One of the criticisms that I've heard 
of speaking in tongues from observers is it sounds like baby talk gibberish. And maybe some, maybe it does. Maybe if you've heard someone speak in tongues, maybe it does sound that way. But this is actually, that does to me. When I come before God speaking in tongues, I'm feeling like a baby. <laughs> Just being honest here. I'm feeling very helpless. It wouldn't surprise me at all if someone was to interpret what I was saying in tongues. I have no idea what I'm saying, what my spirit is saying. But it would not surprise me at all if 90% of what my spirit is saying is, Lord, I need you, help me. <laughs> just saying that like, you know, I'm just trying to say, uh, what does the Apostle Paul say? The one who speaks in tongues is, is speaking mysteries in their spirit. And I, maybe we should just leave it at mysteries rather than trying to figure out what's going on underneath, you know, the hood. So, all right. all right. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are a God who works and that your ways are mysterious to us, but that you choose to work in our lives. And I pray that um, for everyone who's sitting here who's got questions about speaking in tongues or other gifts that they might have, I pray that you would make those things clear to them. Lord, that you would um, open our eyes to the ways that you are working through us, the ways that you have gifted us in order to further your kingdom here on earth. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us to trust in your goodness where we um, might feel afraid about the gifts that we have or don't have. Father, I pray that we would always remember that you are a good God and that you are um, working for our good to make us more like Jesus. And I pray that you would comfort us with that and be with us as we continue to worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen.